Welcome to the Purple Rock Survivor Podcast, the podcast that will never sell out to sponsors unless they're willing to pay us money. I'm John, my co-host is Andy, and we've got a third voice joining us today. Corey Barker is our guest. You may know him from TV.com, the Totally Tubular podcast, from a class you took at IU, or from Twitter, which is where we know him from. And welcome to the podcast, Corey. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm I'm really legitimately honored to be here. I'm a big fan of not only the show, but of the podcast. So it's this is a big deal for me. Yeah, uh, you do realize that you are on a podcast that was referenced on Wikipedia as a prominent Survivor podcast. Yeah, I'm expecting this to take me kind of straight to the top in any number of career options from here. Well, it hasn't failed so far. We've had people appear on this show and then appear on Survivor like weeks later. Yeah. <laughs> At least twice. <laughs> three. Three out of four, I think. So that's a pretty good batting average. Uh, so Corey, I think the question now everybody, uh, was probably asking themselves is, uh, what's a respectable TV critic like yourself doing on a Survivor podcast? Well, that's a great question. I think, uh, I mean, first and foremost, cause I'm a big fan of Survivor. Uh, you know, I think I would call myself a strong fan of Survivor. Uh, maybe not a super fan if we're going to use Survivor terminology, but, uh, I've been a, a pretty uh invested in the show since the beginning when it started when i was very very young um and to be honest uh it to to kind of connect it to one of your former guests i kind of lost interest in the show when i was in college um but as an undergrad at indiana university i took a class with uh max as you who you guys may know and who the listeners yes. may know um and we became kind of friends he kind of became my mentor and things like that in in the academic circles and uh he sort of turned me back onto the show with his uh constant preaching about it being kind of the best show uh on television and ever and everything like that. And so I kind of got back into the show around 2009, 2010. And I think then the social media element, which you guys are very much a part of, kind of helped me or, you know, kind of fostered my enjoyment in Survivor even more so. So I've often used it in my classes uh to teach reality TV to my students uh, partially just because I really enjoy showing episodes of Survivor in class. <laughs> and getting paid for it. Absolutely. V- very little as a graduate yes. student, we should say. But, but uh, still, of the three people on this podcast, you were the only one that could marginally say you've kind of gotten paid <laughs> for talking about Survivor. <laughs> so It's true. Yeah, enforcing other people to talk about Survivor, no less. I, uh, in my past, uh, in my previous institution, I actually showed multiple episodes of Heroes versus villains, uh, to teach reality TV to my students. And, uh, I think I turned at least like five or six of them onto Survivor. So I really did my job as a, as a media studies professor or, you know, hopeful professor. Your job is really to just make people like the things that you also like. Um, so, you know, I have a really like fond relationship with Survivor and I find it to be one of the best shows on TV, even though it's been on for so long. And I think as you guys talk about almost every week, like this is, one of the most impeccably produced shows on TV. Uh, and it never really gets the credit for that, be it Emmys or be it just kind of general discussion online week to week. Yeah. And two things here. One, those people that you introduced to heroes versus villains, if they started watching after that, the next like four or five seasons were totally dismal. So way to hook them at the right time. <laughs> yeah, that's my bad. <laughs> and then, uh, two, as a fellow RTV major, 
I know that you will also geek out just like I did. Because once again, they did the golden hour thing last night for a challenge. Oh my gosh. I think it even looked better last night just because they had done it once before and now they've really gotten fond of it and know how to shoot it exactly, uh, basically perfectly. And I think every time they do that now, it's hard to, uh, not just revel in the technical majesty that is Survivor. It's almost like a big F you to the Emmy committee. Like, listen, you can see what we're doing here, right? Yeah. And I don't, I don't really get it as someone who also spends a lot of time, uh, investigating the Emmys and why they do what it is that they do. And I know Andy mentioned a few weeks ago that it's basically easier just to give the award to like Amazing Race or the voice now. Like it's even worse. They just give it to the voice. Um, so. I just don't understand. Like, you can just watch one episode of Survivor or see, you know, one behind-the-scenes documentary thing that goes three minutes, and you even just kind of scratch the surface about how immense and complicated the production is. And no, we're just going to give it to a reality show where people, like, turn around on chairs. I will say (laughs) that's probably also true of The Amazing Race. I mean, I totally think it's just laziness and bitterness why Amazing Race keeps winning. But any single uh, episode of Amazing Race is also a pretty amazing production uh, experience. It's just that an entire season is boring as hell. So, And they only have to submit the one episode, so that must be why they keep winning. <laughs> yeah. Now, I will say, I think uh, as a fan of Survivor, that it isn't as popular, but still a really strong performer, is kind of better. You know, like if it had stayed a big phenomenon, um, people would hate it more, I think. So now it's just a place where people who enjoy Survivor can be instead of having to compete as some kind of cultural force. Yeah, it's been boiled down to like the essential fandom in a way that allows the people who really, really love it, uh, be it, you know, people like us or people who post on Facebook about Rupert to talk about the show every week (laughs) in their various circles. And I think it's funny when I come across people who are surprised that I still really love Survivor. Um, but then you kind of explain to them what's great about it. And it's not hard for people to understand why it's so great, but it, it is interesting that it has, you know, continued to sort of persevere in the ratings uh, while all of these other reality shows have kind of declined over the years. I think John and I have both said this in the past, and I, I wonder, um, knowing what we know about you, one of the big draws for Survivor is that it's like sports. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you know, I think we, the three of us share like a kind of a common bond that is both survivor based and sports based. And I, I definitely treat it that way in a number of ways where, you know, you, you pick your favorites, you get invested in people, um, be it people you actually know or people that you really love on a TV show. And you often find yourself like celebrating things or being crestfallen when people you really, really like, uh, get voted out. Right, John? Two weeks in a row, or actually three weeks in a row now, thanks to last night's episode. Uh, actually, we should start getting into some discussion about the show, and that's the perfect lead-in because Jeff Varner went home last night, and it's a tragedy. I mean, Andy and I talked about it before the season even started. Like, this guy could go home in episode one, and he would have just been a gem and a total find and saving grace for this season no matter what. And... I don't know. I I almost wonder, could they go back and could they find some other hidden gems or was just Varner the singular hidden gem that can be found here? Yeah, I think I'm actually like, yeah, I am too, because I am a person with semi-human feelings, was yeah very bummed when Jim, Jeff Varner went home. But in some ways, like, I'm, I'm okay with it. And because uh, what you were just kind of getting at, he was dominating so much. 
And there's still so many people out there that there's stuff to be seen. Like, we voted these people in, and there are, there are many of them that are invisible. Uh, the most invisible of which all seem to be women. That's fun. Um, <laughs> and so I, yeah, I, I want to see what fills the vacuum. I think it might be good. I'm not upset that they let Barner dominate, especially knowing that we were only going to get four episodes in. Um, yeah. but maybe it was time. It certainly does. It opens up more storylines now. And really, if you know that you're only getting four episodes of Varner, you may as well front load the season with him because, I mean, look at what he gave you. You got to air that. So, Corey, what's your opinion on Varner, by the way? We just assume everyone loves him. I mean, I love him. It's, it's, it's hard not to. I mean, you know, I think I had really great memories of him dating all the way back to Australia and his persona all the way through the voting process for second chance. And then immediately on the Island, uh, uh, or in Cambodia, it's been really great. And I think, you know, he managed to kind of run the gamut of survivor stories in four episodes in a way that few people ever do. I mean, he even got injured. Like I think <laughs> you, know, you, you expect people to do, do one thing and kind of slot into a particular role, um, but he managed to kind of be so many different things across just four episodes of the show. And I think even though it's a bummer that he's gone, they really did jam him in there, you know, as much as they could because Crazy. they could clearly tell, <laughs> they could clearly tell that like this is a, this is somebody who's really going to drive up the entertainment value of a season, um, that's full of entertaining personalities. Yeah. And it was kind of lucky that perhaps their most dynamic personality was also the one where all the stories are going to take place, you know? I mean, if he was on Bayon and Takeo or whatever, yeah, he'd have a funny, you know, confessional here or there and then great bonus scenes on the website. And we wouldn't be seeing any of this because the show has to tell the story of eliminations every week. So it was a little, it was, it was fortunate for us in the way that he was on such doomed tribes. Maybe less fortunate for him. Yeah, I think part of it was that Varner himself was on yes. those tribes. He's not exactly a challenge beast. Yes, if we were uh, talking about, like, in terms of Borp, he'd be in the negatives. Uh, <laughs> but not have value, or entertainment value over replacement survivor, you know, way up there. And now I'm getting into math and it scares me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm of two minds. It's, I feel uh, kind of like what Corey was getting at. He had a whole season's worth of story in four episodes. I feel like I got my Jeff Varner experience. In some ways, I'm okay with him being done now because this last episode wasn't the most, it was the least fun Varner of the four we got. Well, yeah, of course it's going to be sad. He's, he's going home. How can he make but that? Also, fun? you know, he's on the starving tribe. He's getting beaten down. Like, I feel like if he had not gotten voted out, Medivac isn't out of the question for him. I don't, I don't want to see sad, starving Jeff Arner. I want to see, you know, you know, the vivacious Jeff Arner of the first two episodes. So we ask this seemingly every week now when someone goes home, where did it all go wrong? <laughs> well, the answer is uh, what we've been answering seemingly every week. <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is. is another reason why Varner had to go home is uh, he was the next victim of the curse of Abby Maria and everybody who played with fire got burnt. And it's at this point, I'm ready for that story to be done, but I guess it had to claim one more person, right? 
Yeah, it's like the, it's a, like a really bad relationship that you, you have a group of friends and they, you know, they keep telling you, this is gonna go so poorly for you. And you keep convincing yourself, oh, well, it's gonna work out, at least in the short term. And, you know, maybe it's not, like, viable long term, but it'll be fun along the way. <laughs> and then at the end of it, you realize it was not fun whatsoever. And everyone who told me this was a bad idea was absolutely correct. God, I've been there so many times. <laughs> yeah, and like he was told before he went out there, he's friends with Mike Scoopin. Mike Scoopin was like, stay away from Abby. And they just like everybody else, nah, I got this. And it's just, uh, you, you can't. She, it's like a final destination film. She, she will come get you. And I mean, I don't want to pin too much on her. It just, I mean, it's a funny through line and it is, it is valid. Everybody who thought that Abby would help them was wrong. Uh, I would say this particular episode, it wasn't Abby's fault. I don't feel like this was a patented Abby betrayal so much. I kind of feel like she didn't really want to vote him out because he he didn't vote her name down twice. He didn't write her name down twice. I don't know if you know this, but Wu wrote her name down twice. Um, hmm. But I think it was kind of a mercy killing on this her part. You know, he's limping around. I guess he was limping on crutches for like two and a half months after that. So I think after the injury, she acquiesced. But the greater point is... Where was the benefit to Jeff Farner for all the work he did with Abby Maria? It never paid off once. <laughs> What's funny is, if she weren't destroying all of these games of people that I like, this would be so great. She's just a disaster, and it's fun to watch her ruin other people, but not the ones that I want to go far. Right, and it seemed like, you know, I, I don't know if you guys watched the, the video with uh, your best friend Dalton Ross today, but uh, it seemed like he suggested that he knew that this was coming, and obviously we hear that a lot uh, when people do exit interviews, but that the way Abby had sort of flipped once, you know, this new tribe would be formed, that he really didn't feel like he had much of a chance going into this episode, and all. we can talk about some of the other things that he suggested went wrong for him, but... It's interesting that he left Cambodia and went to Ponderosa thinking, okay, I'm not that upset at Abby, even though all of these things happened to him that led to him being uh, voted out. And I think that that's sort of a really interesting dynamic that we sort of see her uh, being at the crux of all of these things. And then, you know, some of the some of the people who have left have been a little less positive about their experience with Abby. And then here's Barner who, you know, on, on, as he's getting voted out says, you know, you little bitch in kind of a fun way. And now he seems totally cool with her. Um, you know, and I think that's personality based, but it, it is interesting given what we see every week and what we don't. Yeah. I, I think that was one of those like, haha, I'm joking, but there is a grain of seriousness <laughs> buried in here. Yeah, I do feel like there's kind of a thread with Farner's uh, interviews. Well, actually, there's more than a thread. He's basically said the same thing in every single one. Uh, he had a script and he was sticking to it. But that he just doesn't want to necessarily admit that that was his downfall. And in some ways, that's admirable. He's not pinning the blame on somebody else. But I feel like other people were like, well, it's my dumb fault for getting involved with, with Abby. Uh <laughs> He's defending her actions, and I think we can probably get into that, and that maybe for her it wasn't the worst thing, but it was for him. He was in charge of four versus six, and suddenly he was not. Or four versus two, one of those. Oh, Freaking math. In fact, <laughs> you're accounting. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so and it's her. She flipped, and all of a sudden he had to do things. Now, obviously, he did not help himself with his, you know, meltdown at uh, the the challenge last week. But 
that wouldn't have happened if Abby was on his side. Like he should, it shouldn't have ever come to that. It should have been, we are the only tribe with four Takeo members. Let's get rid of Tasha. Yeah. And we've actually had a very, very small minority of people saying that maybe we're just not giving Abby Maria enough credit. Like maybe this is intentional. This is the game she came to play. Or even if it's not intentional, there's at least there's some defenses that could be made for the things that she's done. And I will say this, like, if you're just going based on results, she's beaten these other people so far. Yeah, and like, it, we have had people saying, come on. And and I think some people are like, oh, they're only making her seem crazy because, you know, she's a woman or she's Brazilian or whatever. It's like, no, I think they're making her seem crazy because everybody thinks she's crazy. Like, we're not putting the words in the mouth of any, almost everybody but Jeff Farner who's ever been on Survivor with Abby. It seems to be a fairly common thread. And yeah, she's still there, which... We never thought that was going to be possible. Like, <laughs> I, I predicted that she was going to go out every week, except last week when I fake or not predicted it. Um, and I'm, spoiler alert, I'm getting back on that train. Um, <laughs> and, but she, so yes, she's still there. Um, I think voting out PG, completely defensible. They were not getting along. Now, the reason they weren't getting along is because Abby <laughs> is friggin' crazy. Um, but, Anybody who wants to defend Abby, it's like, well, what's your goal here? For her to just kind of stick around and not get voted out? Or is it to win? Because if it's to win, which is most people's goal in Survivor, I want somebody to look me into the straight face and suggest that Abby Maria has any chance of winning this season. But not really, because I don't enjoy face-to-face contact. (laughs) Well, we should get a fresh perspective on Abby Maria since we rant about her every week. So, Corey, what's your take? It's fascinating to me, I guess, to circle around to this conversation, what people think they see watching at home or like how they interpret the editing of the show. Because when we see, you know, obviously the show is heavily edited and constructed to tell a certain narrative. And every time someone gets voted out, their uh, initial story is, well, you didn't see the entire thing. But the idea that she's not a crazy force, whether or not she's actually crazy is we could talk about that forever. And you guys do every week, but like <laughs> she is definitely a tumultuous catalyst in this season of the show that is making the other people making them crazy and also making them feel like she is crazy. And so, you know, you could argue that there's strategy there, but I, we don't see that. We see her flip flopping. We see her deciding seemingly on a whim or based on, you know, particularly emotional things um, to flip sides or to vote one way or another or to tell people like straight to their face repeatedly, you know, you voted for me, you wrote my name down and then also like side with that person. Like you can't really attach a certain level of coherent strategy to that. And that's that's not an indictment of Abby Maria's gameplay, I think. I mean, she's just being herself in a lot of ways, um, which is great. It's great TV. It's frustrating if you're invested in these people, but so it's, she's exactly what everyone kind of says she is, at least as a character on the show, right? It doesn't necessarily mean she's legit crazy in in real life. It just means this is what we're seeing on the show. And if you're trying to suggest that what we're seeing on the show is, you know, something else, then, I don't really know what to tell you. Like, I I hate to tell people they're watching shows wrong, (laughs) but when it gets to like reality TV and people, uh, like associating certain strategies with things you never see, 
you're kind of watching the show wrong. Yeah, we tell people they're watching the show wrong all the time. No, no, what I do is I always say, oh, no, I mean, there, people love Survivor in different ways, and there's no wrong way, and then I proceed to talk about how wrong they are. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's completely transparent, but I try. And you know what? When I say it, I, I mean it. I, I try to you know mean that I don't have a superior sense, but, you know, I'm one superior bastard, so clearly it's what I'm thinking. Uh, but, yeah, I know. I mean, people invent narratives, and actually I do – genuinely believe that that's part of the fun of survivor it's just when they come at us with it it's like well but you get that's not what we do right like we we try to find actual evidence to back up what we're talking about you can just or at least i do well that makes one of us uh but the thing is like this is the sort of thing that i want to see in survivor is this because it is creating this randomness and chaos and it's Survivor gets boring when it's predictable, and this has been anything but predictable. It's just that I don't need it to be unpredictable quite so early. Like, if this stuff was happening with, you know, five, six, seven episodes left, I would be thinking, this is great. No matter who it was happening to at that point, because we've already gotten a decent amount of season from these people, I'd be like, all right, you know what? Got enough out of them. This is crazy. I'm enjoying this. Like a Kagayan situation, where it was just... Wow, I did not see that coming. It made for good TV. And the problem is, there's no way she can sustain this pace, right? Like, at some point, this runs out of steam, and the game has to get more predictable, either because Abby leaves, or because Abby just becomes the GOAT and no longer has any sort of power anyway. Well, I mean, there are two, still two members of that original voting block that might be yet to, you know... Suffer the consequences, right? Yeah, yeah like uh, Spencer and Kelly Wentworth voted with her that first fateful first vote. Uh, yeah, I think there's a good strong argument that Kelly Wentworth will be the final girl in this final destination type scenario. Uh, but you know, Spencer shouldn't be comfortable yet. There could be a swap next week, and Abby takes him out. Yeah, and I, I think the, the issue for me in watching the show is that it is, as you said, like really fun. It's chaotic, but like every week too, you know, I think that it's happened four episodes in a row now, and that's really been the singular story of the season is, you know, it's not insufferable, but it does get a little frustrating, even if you're not invested in a particular person who's been voted out. I think it's just, you know, as any show gets sort of repetitive, even if the repetitive is crazy. Yes. You know, you, you want something else to happen and you, you see, you know, oh, now there are three tribes. Now there's all sorts of different dynamics. And it's just like, no, the sheer, you know, power of Abby Maria <laughs> is going to derail any sort of uh, change that the show is trying to like, you know, inject into the story because it's just so powerful. Yeah. She might be the ultimate twist, just the embodiment of the survivor <laughs> twist. Yeah. I do like how John was, I know you were thrilled by like in the first two minutes of the show, it already seemed like she was flipping on Tasha. <laughs> yes. It took no time at all. But yeah. So it's, yeah, I think, you know, maybe if there's some frustration, all right, just that, you know, we talk about it every week for an hour and it's like, well, that happened again. It's like, yeah, to your point, any TV show that keeps repeating the same storyline over and over again, it's like, we get it, Don Draper's miserable, you know, so. Um, <laughs> hey, we do watch Prestige TV as well. Yeah, I do. Um, you were like, Don Draper, I get that reference. Yeah, um, he's a handsome guy. <laughs> Didn't he sell ads or something? All right, so uh, getting back to Varner, uh, I think probably the best way to send off what was a great character is to recognize that what made him great was his 
ability to narrate this season. Because what we haven't done this episode, or a lot of episodes, is talk about his, you know, his gameplay. Because who cares? Um, he did stuff. It was fun. Uh, <laughs> but I think his true value was when he was speaking to us through the camera. Yeah, that was, that was part of the appeal of him, is that he just used colorful language, he was very entertaining, and, and just seemed to be having so much fun that it's almost impossible not to have fun watching him play the game. Yeah, and I think he was the ultimate symbol of what this season was trying to be. And in, yes. like, a legitimate way, not like in, like, Rupert pretending to be a pirate, <laughs> or a hero, or blood relation to his wife. Um, he, he, he felt this. This was real for him. He had been waiting for this, and it was finally happening. I mean, his accident interviews, he's talking about how he was, like, crying all the time. Like, the emotion was overwhelming, and that came across along with, you know, the funny stuff he's saying. And I think that's key to uh, being a great narrator, is if you can both tell your journey, but also kind of give us what the show needs from a cohesive whole. And uh, I was just kind of thinking, just um might be worth, if we're talking about him being one of the greatest, to kind of figure out what class is he among? Who are the other great narrators in Survivor history? And uh, we'll let Corey talk now. Well, I mean, you have to start with John from Blood vs. Water 2, right? I mean, he's the, the absolute best. Um. <laughs> I was actually thinking about that guy yesterday. You know who he reminded me of? Like, uh, Chris Klein in early, mo- like his early when he was supposed to be a movie Entirely star. clueless? Yeah, just like affably handsome and like a dull puppy dog. But yeah, he's like, you know, the Chris Klein character in American Pie. And I don't know why two people on this planet Earth were thinking of John Mish in a span. <laughs> You know who he reminded me of? Absolutely no one, because he is just a blank space in my mind. He was as bland as bland gets. A rock with a smiley face painted on it by, you know, like a sharpie. Yeah, exactly. To be more serious here for a second, I mean, you know, it's maybe recency bias, but like, I thought Mike did a really great job of narrating last season, even amid kind of the nastiness and everything that was happening. And it helped that he was, you know, at the center of so much of it and ultimately went on to win. But, you know, they, the show used him from the very beginning to talk about, you know, the blue collarness of it all. And he's eating scorpions and he's doing all these crazy things. And I think there were parts of last season that were really frustrating and legitimately terrible uh, to watch. But I think he did a really nice job of trying to embody what worlds apart wanted to be, you know, I don't think they ultimately succeeded in kind of telling any interesting story about class warfare or something like that, or class divisions in America, but you could have done a lot worse than Mike Holloway, I think, to narrate a season that had such a problematic capital P gimmick, you know? Yeah. Well, he certainly bought into the concept. Yeah. America at all. Um, I think, you know, you kind of led into, you got to start with, Probably got to start with, like, the beginning. Richard Hatch set the template of the narrator and has right. to be right near the top. Yeah, and I think, you know, a few seasons after him, I, I don't think he often gets brought up in this conversation, but Rob Sesternino, like, I mean, I recently rewatched Amazon. The guy was on fire from, like, the merge on. It's just, like, whenever they needed to describe what was going on, get a funny bite, whatever it was. It was always Rob. He was just dominating the confessionals. But I think the one name that we're all dancing around, or at least Andy is dancing around because I know he wants to say it, is Jonathan Penner. 
No, no, Penner is definitely elite. I mean, we once saw Penner, like, constructing a narrative in real time. Like, yes. And that was actually even a full-on confessional, but basically I think anytime Penner has a conversation with anybody, it kind of turns into a pseudo-confessional, um, says the guy who monologues on a podcast frequently. Uh, yeah, I think he's at the top. I think Cochran is probably right near the top. And, of course, I'm going to say Boston Rob. Of course you would. I, I would add Sandra to the list because I also recently rewatched Pearl Islands, and she was gold. I just enjoyed because... She was so snarky when it wasn't about that at the time, and not in a villainous way necessarily, but judging by heroes versus villains, apparently it was in a villainous way. Um, but she just added that level of entertainment to the season and really described the action well and made it enjoyable. Who would you guys say is or are the worst oh, narrators that we've had to deal with a lot over the over the trajectory of the show? Spencer. <laughs> uh, we used to gripe so much during Kageyan about you know, Spencer. He was getting so much airtime and we, we actually liked Spencer. We just didn't get why he was getting this disproportionate amount of airtime relative to the value of the confessionals he was giving. I mean, Cass was there. Cass is pretty entertaining. Why were we getting so much Spencer? Yeah. And I wasn't really being serious. Like he wasn't a horrible one, but he was no. drastically overrated. It's like, yeah, okay, so he's he is passable at describing action. Um he's not that funny. You know, he's, he like he wasn't that interesting. I understood why he was getting the cut. He was the sole underdog. But yeah, yeah that whole season involved at least within the fan community people ascribing traits to Spencer that weren't really on the page. Well, what's funny is this season, I think he's he's now that guy. Like he deserves confessionals. He's doing much better at it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I mean, we became bigger Spencer fans once he was voted out and went on interviews confirming everything we were saying because we live (laughs) for people saying we're right. Um, I'm not sure if I can completely think of a name right now, but I can think of a trait that makes for bad narrators, and that's people who will only frame the story in how it affects themselves. Yes, and I think that's a whole lot of narrators. That's probably... might even be a majority of narrators, actually. Yeah, and actually, uh, Jeremy fell into that trap in San Juan del Sur. Yep. Everything was about Jeremy. It's like, yeah, but, yeah, and look, I, I don't mind ego. I think ego is an essential part of a good narrator. Um, but I think the show wants you to be able to talk about the show as well as yourself. Well, just to follow up on Jeremy, I think the thing that always frustrated me about him and frustrates me about the kind of players you're describing is that, you know, they come in with a, a stated knowledge and kind of a fandom of the show. And then as soon as they get, you know, on the show, they can't seemingly comprehend like the machinations that are happening around them. It's just, you know, talking about how things are kind of unfair or frustrating or disappointing for them specifically. And they're unable to state kind of why these things might be happening in the larger scheme of how the show operates. And I think it's easy, it's easy, I'm sure to get lost in, your own thing when you're out there for 39 days. But I think it's, it's especially frustrating when you get those people who are constantly kind of doing something to somebody. And then when someone kind of turns around and does that thing to them, whether it's flip on them or lie to them or pull out an idol or not tell them about a clue that, that kind of behavior is what makes 
kind of self-involved narrating really frustrating. Well, and also I think in the casting process, they probably look for self-involved people, narcissist, ego, like they look for these sorts of things. So it's not that surprising when you get a lot of narrators that solely focus on themselves. Oh yeah, and like the people we mentioned as being great on them are some of the largest narcissists in the history of the show. Richard Hatch, Boston Rob, John Cochran, like these guys are more into themselves than anybody else, but... Again, they can talk about the show in bigger sense. They don't sit there and whine about the show not going their way. I think the point you made about Jeremy was a good one, and I think Tasha was really guilty of this in Kageon too, in that I think there are there's a certain fan of Survivor when they get on there, it's like, well, this is how it's supposed to go. And when things deviate from what they think Survivor should be or what their plans were, they don't really know how to cope with that very well. And, you know, maybe both of them are getting better at this season. We'll see. But, yeah, I do think that happened a lot. All right, let's get back to the show. We've discussed narrators enough. Um, <laughs> but like, quick question to kind of uh, wrap it up. Is Varner in that group? The people we mentioned, would you put him up there? Yeah. And Also, should we mention more than one woman? Because I-, I had Suri and Courtney Yates also on my list. Is good. Yeah, Suri was the other one I was thinking. Yeah, I was I was actually had Courtney uh, on my notepad here that I was going to mention her. And I think the show needs more people like that. Um, and it's kind of a hard role to cast given uh, how long the show's been on and the the different people who have kind of filled it. But that kind of dry, sarcastic, like almost like looking at the camera with, can you believe any of this is actually happening? Like, how dumb are these people? Um, that's the kind of person that I really respond to when watching reality TV. And you know what? We might have one of those people on this season in Cass. And I've seen some of these bonus scenes and Cass is spinning some gold. Talking about the crush that Joe clearly has on her. Cass is giving us gold that just hasn't made the air yet. And that was one of the fortunate things, the very few fortunate things about Varner leaving is that we might get some of those sorts of scenes now. Yeah, because there are other, you know, potentially great uh, narrators out there. There's Cass, there's Stephen Fishbach, there's, you know, even Spencer. Because, uh, yeah, I actually started watching the bonus scenes this weekend after finding that it's easier to fool CBS.com with proxy servers than YouTube. <laughs> Just a tip for all my international peeps. Um, I, I remember was reminded. It's like, oh, yeah, I really enjoy watching Fishbach talk. I hate that savage now. No, anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so this episode, what we did get a cast is her uh, being all really nice and friendly to everyone. And um, how do we feel about that? What the hell world have we entered that we've got, like, a nice cast and Spencer's got feelings and Wu has opinions on things. <laughs> like, these are not the reasons we voted these people back on the show. I feel like we were sold a bill of goods here and we're getting robbed. Like, I wanted Cass to be the caller in that challenge and just make people run into Spencer intentionally to try to injure him. That to me would have been hilarious. I mean, turns out unnecessary because wow, that guy took some hits. Yeah, he did. Yeah, it's, it's just disappointing. I mean, I do wonder if this is a long con and then the real cast comes out later on and, you know, this is just (laughs) – she's trolling you by subverting your expectations that she's going to be a troll. Yeah, so obviously we've gone on record as being big cast fans uh, because we find her hilarious and her brand of chaos actually resulted in entertainment. Uh, What were your feelings, Corey? You're You're allowed to differ with our opinions. Yeah. yeah, and I I know that you will immediately end the call yep. if I do, but I, so I'm trying to like really frame how I say this. I I think I you know I watched Kagayan like f- 
in, from a distance because of different scheduling things that were happening. So I was not like as into it as I've been other seasons, which so I need to kind of go back to it. And so I don't feel like I have much of a strong opinion on her, but I do appreciate the way in which she is, I think clearly kind of setting people up. Um, and I think maybe some of it is real. And, you know, as you guys talk about, like you go out there with one thing and then once you kind of get around these people, you kind of change your perspective and your strategy and maybe that's happening. But I tend to believe that this is all set up for, you know, some powerful sucker punches later when, you know, it's an individual game and it's post merge and she's got some things, you know, kind of cooking in different areas. But, um, it is interesting to me that at least through four episodes, the people that they focused on having sort of changed their strategy are all people from recent seasons. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's just those people were still sort of in survivor mode and very self-aware. But it, what do you guys think about that in particular and how the show is illustrating that people like Cass or Jeremy or Spencer um, are kind of figuring out new ways to play the game, at least in the short term. I actually wonder if we get that narrative because people are less likely to remember the narratives of the older players. You know, if they're not giving the audience enough credit for knowing what, you know, Savage was like his first time or how Terry played his first time or even how Varner was his first time. I think there also might be something like uh, people that were there recently can think, like, I needed to tweak this or I needed to change that. The people that have been there so long ago... They're just busy trying to figure out how to do Survivor again and what Survivor is now. So that to, to change themselves along with that, they probably think they are because back then we didn't have to, uh, form alliances right away or, you know, backstab people or it was like about challenges and all that. And it's just it, the learning curve is so great for them that they can't also then focus. It's like, Oh yeah, last time I was kind of douchey to people who were outside of my alliance and it, you know, got in my way. It's just, it, it's really tough for them to subvert who they are when they're playing such a big game of catch up. Yeah. And I think some of them like Savage, for instance, and you know, Terry, to some extent, so much of what we see from them is them talking about kind of what went wrong for them the first time, but not necessarily talking about, okay, well, here's what I could do differently, mm-hmm. especially with Savage. It's just kind of reinforcing like, oh, no, not this again. Um, and so you don't know how strategic that is from the editor's part, kind of thinking about the long-term story here. But it, it is curious to me that so much of the time has been spent on the new, the most recent people kind of reconsidering their game. And I don't know if that is actually something that's going to pay off from a strategic standpoint or a results standpoint, but it does maybe the new people or the newer people are just better at kind of regurgitating what the, you know, production people on site want them to say about, you know, their second chance and everything like that. Right. They might be better coached basically. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, that's a good point to it that I think the modern survivor player is probably just a little more media savvy. Uh, and it may be just the modern person. They've like, they've come through, uh, Survivor in a social media landscape, whereas, yeah, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but some of the olds are not as good at that. Uh, <laughs> this is like, I, I love that, uh, you know, Wigglesworth, Wigglesworth, uh, account keeps tweeting out every once in a while. It's like, come on, you're fooling nobody. You are not running that account. <laughs> it is more likely that Hillary Clinton is sending out her own tweets than you are. Um, I think another part of it might be that for a lot of the new people, um, like Cass, like Spencer, like Jeremy, they knew they were going to come back to Survivor. 
it wasn't, you know, this lifelong will it happen and maybe it's already passed me by. It was, I just have to wait until they have another returnee season because, yeah, it was going to happen for them. And this could be why it's a little different for, say, a Kelly Wentworth, who it was kind of a shock for her to come back. But if you're a savage, you probably thought the dream was over. I think it was definitely probably true of Varner. So it could just be that, like, these people, the, the older people are out there to rekindle something, to, to, you know, right some wrongs, and the other people are just there to play a game. Well, I like that you mentioned savage because we have somehow staked out the uh, savage defender corner on the internet because there doesn't seem to be anybody else willing to do so. And so, Corey, let's get your perspective here. Are you pro or con on savage? Oh man, is there a middle ground? Can I take a middle ground? You I don't know, know if I've... that's allowed on the internet. We were discussing that earlier okay, yeah, today. I'm gonna get booed off the web. Well, you know what? And you mentioned getting hung up on earlier, like. You're safe now. Unless you mention something about Shireen, you're probably safe here. I really enjoyed Savage on his season, and I was really, really hoping that he got on the show for all the reasons that you guys have talked about. And I think, I guess I can see why the people who are frustrated with him or just don't like him feel that way. But I also think that that's coming from, as you guys have talked about, a very particular fan base who likes a very particular type of player. And I think, you know, one of the key things that's always important to remember about Survivor is that this show is not made for Twitter, right? That it is yes. just not made. It's not made for people who listen to Survivor podcasts. And I think Savage is, he is one of those people that, you know, middle America, my folk here, you know, in Indiana, the down home folks, <laughs> uh, Rupert country, yes, if you will. Rupert country, um, indeed. Who love Savage, and I think, you know, his story about his wife was, by the end, like, eye-rolling, but it's not his fault that they the show chose to air the entire thing. Like, he did that because that's who he is, and it's strategic. It's not his fault that the show has decided to paint him as this kind of heroic, inspirational dad figure. Um, obviously, he's in control of his persona to some degree, but I think some of that is, like, the sh- the a certain type of the audience responding to the way that the show frames people on the sh- like on the show and it's not necessarily savage doing something to come after you know a particular fan base that's just who he is yeah. i will th- say that i do think he loves that kind of macho uh hero type thing like <laughs> mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's not his fault they're doing that but i don't think he minds it either because no the point i've made is it's just yeah it's like you think this is lame and stupid and that they're setting him up for some kind of fail i think this is, yeah, you know, they think this is awesome. The people who he's with, at least, you know, some of them think it's awesome too. So don't get your hopes up that we're seeing, you know, a savage come up and edit. We might actually just be seeing a savage winner edit and not enjoying that brand of winner's edit. Um, they, well, there's, there's a, uh, large percentage, like you mentioned, of, of middle America that is, probably sitting there like yeah i love that savage guy it's this survivor facebook crowd they're gonna go on there and say well since we couldn't get rupert savage is the next best thing because he's a stand-up guy and he played football and loves his wife just like me and you know he's super handsome and still in great shape for 50 something just like me oh wait no (laughs) (laughs) but i mean I get why there is a percentage of the internet, well, a large percentage of the internet at least, that's rooting against him and doesn't like his style and all that. Even Varner on his exit interviews was calling Savage out for being so arrogant. I'm like, 
Listen, buddy. You are also arrogant. It's just that your arrogance is more entertaining. Savages is not rubbing people the right way, I don't think. Now, here's a question for us, John. Why do we like Savage? Are we just being contrarians? Because, <laughs> like, if there was, like, a new Savage, somebody that was cast like this, would we be like, yeah, that guy's awesome? We'd be like, that guy's lame. No, I think it's fascinating. I mean, it, the show gets ridiculously billed sometimes as a social experiment, but in some degree it is. And to me, it was, I wanted him back on the show because I knew he wasn't going to change. He was going to be the same guy. I think in his mind, the only reason he didn't win is because of a twist. Like, he was skating to the finish line, and he was going to win the season, and he sees no reason he should change. I wanted to see him come back and do exactly what he did before, and that's what he's doing, and I don't blame him at all. Uh I, for some reason, find him entertaining. I mean, he's not hateable. He's a nice guy. We interviewed him, and he's totally charismatic and charming and great, but... There's just for some reason, and partly because, you know, he's a dad and the, the teenagers on the internet are just rebelling against the survivor dad. Um, but like, like a legitimate dad, not like the weird youths of today that call everybody mom and dad on, t- on yeah. the internet. What's that about, well, youths? Right. And then, of course, the biggest mistake that he could possibly make in terms of offending the internet was he went after Steven the, right away. and The most internet-protected player on the season, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, both of you are kind of getting at this. One of the strengths of Survivor is that it does not cast just one type. There are other reality shows that kind of do. Um, and I think it's just interesting. Is this my favorite archetype? Not really, but he's one of the better ones at it. And I want to see how it goes. I think Survivor's more interesting when there's a change of styles and there's a reaction to things. And if you look at the season so far, the people who played a little more aggressive strategically early on are hanging out in Ponderosa. Um, so it's interesting to see that clash of styles as symbolized by him. And I think some people are really rebelling against it. Whereas, you know, I, I want to see it play out. And do you think that there's some uh, backlash here because everybody knows that Savage is just Probst's buddy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I don't care. Probst is a, a, a fixture of the show and that ain't going around, away anytime soon. And, you know, we like the show. So as difficult as he can be at times, um, it, you take the good with the bad. And from my perspective, if, if what Savage is doing is working on people, that's great. That's to his credit. The fact that he did so well before the swap and before the three tribe expansion. And that now he's kind of found a way to survive on this, you know, mess of a tribe that he's on currently, you know, that's a lot of Abby's doing, but he's still there given that he was immediately the number one target. As soon as the swap happened, you cannot like him. You can think that he's a bully quote unquote, because he wants to go after Steven, but what he's done thus far is has been effective for him and you can disagree with that strategy or whatever but you can't ignore the fact that it's worked thus far it might not work for him long term and he might end up in the exact same situation well maybe not the exact same but you know <laughs> hopefully sim- similar results uh that would be really great if that was the the late game twist this time it would um, especially be great for me because considering the people at ponderosa right now i feel like yes do this <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I think it, it, I understand why people feel the way they do about him, but you have to respect 
to some extent the way that he has navigated the game thus far. Well, I think we made this point earlier in the season. Like, it was impressive to me that within the first two episodes, he was making, he was shaping the game himself rather than letting the game shape him. Like, he, he assumed the leadership role. He didn't care. He, like, he's going to be the team leader. Rah, rah, rah. It's us against them, just like he was before. And rather than modern survivor just chewing him up and spitting him out, it worked. His old school, like, imprinted on that tribe. Yeah. And, you know, let's go on to the next topic because it keeps uh, flowing there. Uh, his rah 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 hero stuff. They decided to make it a reward challenge. Yes, the hero challenge. Which, come on, when Prope saw this cast, how excited was he for a hero challenge? Because at some point, if you do it early enough, the odds are pretty good you're going to get at least two out of three for Savage, Joe, and Terry. Uh, you actually had a great comment on Twitter about this, Corey. Uh... Yeah, I I can restate that here. I mean, can you imagine if somebody or a particular somebody on any of these three tribes uh a woman would have said oh i can do this like i'm actually really great at uh being in the water and you know creating friction and force with my legs pushing down on a on a teeter-totter type uh apparatus and i i assume that propes would have just said hold on we've got to we've got to redo this Cut. um yeah. Can we bring somebody else in? Like, you know, are you, are you sure your ankle doesn't hurt, Kelly? You know, we could do, we could do something else. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you could make the argument that Wigglesworth might have been a better choice than Jeremy. Uh, yeah. We saw her swim pretty ably. Uh, but yeah, I think he wouldn't necessarily just quite be like, cut, cut. Nope. That's not going to happen. He'd do the thing he sometimes does in tribal council and it's like, tell us why that you think Joe should <laughs> yeah. stay. Don't you think Joe should stay? Why would you ever not vote out Joe? Jen wants to quit. Yeah, and, and it would be just the sort of thing where he keeps staring you down. Like, so you're going to pick Kelly for this challenge when you have Savage sitting right there. Is that, Are you throwing this challenge? Is that your goal? <laughs> he would really hammer the point home. <laughs> Oh, and, and the other question is, like, could we hear his erection deflating if that happened? <laughs> I, I almost want to see, like, if there was a behind the scenes where, like, you know, Cass raises her hand, like, yeah, I'll do it, just to see probes be like, put your hand down, Cass. I said, also said this on Twitter, if we're pulling straight from social media. <laughs> do you think there was any strategy in Joe's part by letting Terry do the challenge, or do you think Terry just said, I'm doing it, and Joe said, okay, because that's pretty much Joe's, you know, strategy, if you will, on the, you know, in Cambodia. I think there was a video, uh, where Terry discussed how that went down, and I think it was the last, okay. he just basically like, yeah, we didn't have a lot of time to talk, to, you know, we didn't have any time to strategize, so I volunteered, and I kind of thought that Joe might volunteer too. So he's kind of like, me, 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 yeah, I'll do it, and then like, what, nobody else is stepping forward here? Yeah, here's how that really went down. Probst is like, it's a hero challenge, and Terry's like, it me! <laughs> like, you didn't even get any more words out. Yeah. I, I got it. I'm on it. And what we had wanted to see, uh, cause once the, you know, that preview was put out, uh, I think on the weekend or whatever, is like, Joe to just give an interview. It's like, yeah, I probably should have done it, but I really wanted to see Terry versus Savage too. Cause, yeah, Joe's <laughs> a, a lifelong fan of the show as well. Which is a lesson for people. Not only nerds watch the show and are called fans. I think I went in the beginning of Corey's like, I am a big fan of the show because <laughs> you didn't want to come out and you say, you have to separate yourself. Yeah. yeah you didn't want yeah. to come out and say super fan. Like we, Joe, 
you know, John and I do that, and like, look at what we're doing right now. If we don't qualify, who does? But at the same time, then you see somebody like Max, and it's like, we're not on that level. Nope. <laughs> yeah, the 1% of the 1%. Um, speaking of that preview, though, because we talked about how well the show's produced earlier, I, we are not challenge people. Andy and I routinely say, like, challenge is not our thing. That's not why we watch the show. Like, it's a very necessary part of the show, but it's also one where we kind of take, turn our brains off a bit. Right. But tell me you didn't get some emotion going watching that preview. Just the music, the cuts, the, like, again, the, the, the way they filmed it. So exciting. It was like watching a movie preview. It was like, I was just excited because it's like, yeah, Savage is going to be Savage. And no, I wasn't going to pretend that it would change anybody's mind. But yeah, I I knew it would be exciting for our friend Matt, for sure. Yeah. The challenges and like the way in which the show has produced basically everything this season has seemingly been on just a little bit higher of a level than even we've seen the last few years. Like, it just seems like everybody has been inspired by the fact that there's returning cast members and it's just kind of a season that the audience is really going to care about. And I think everything has been just a little bit better thus far than, you know, even recently. Yeah. I'll actually be interested to see next season because that was actually filmed before this one. So if next season looks the same way, you know, it'll be like, wow, they were already stepping their game up, which is amazing. 15 seasons in that they're unveiling new tricks I do think a part of it is the uh, unusual construction of this cast is that they were voted in, that it's uh, a large percentage of people, of them at least, who have wanted this for a long time and probably thought it wasn't going to happen. So they are all in. They are cooperative. Like, I don't think we're going to be seeing quitters or anything like that. Uh, previous All-Star seasons were, you know, notoriously a little finicky in the cast and that they all, you know, had a big ego about it. And this is even, like, to counting, like, those Caramoan weirdos. Um, <laughs> you know, they're all like, hey, I'm an All-Star. It's like, hold on, Kimosabi. Nobody's called you an All-Star. They're not even calling his fans versus favorites. You're Philip. <laughs> uh, and to bring it around to earlier conversation, worst uh, narrator ever, probably Philip Shepard, right? Um, oh, he's up there. Now, that's never bothered me. I've always enjoyed All-Star seasons because they can do more to the contestants knowing that they can step up. The contestants know a bit more of the mechanics of television and thus generally give better performances um, on the mic unless they're completely disinterested, like Kelly Wigglesworth. Because uh, I don't care if production is tough for Jeff Probst. I actually don't mind at all if it sounds like they gave him a hard time. And I also don't care if their friendships are destroyed because I don't care about these people as people. But yeah, <laughs> agreed. I do think that Everything has just felt like a bigger deal, and I think part of that is just the emotion involved with these people. So uh, the sense I'm getting is we've, we've all been enjoying the show so far. I do think there's been one major misstep, and we talked about it a bit last week, but we have a little more evidence about it. How badly did they sh- screw up this tribe ex- expansion by making Angkor so terrible? Well, first of all, going to three tribes was a great idea. And I assume that it makes total sense that you would use your two best beaches for the two tribes that you start off with. But if you're going to send a tribe to this third location that you've got picked out, maybe don't send the weakest tribe there. Or if you have to send the weakest tribe, like it it seemed pretty clear to us that Angkor was going to be the weakest tribe, just looking at them. So if you have to send them there, maybe at least give them some food. You know, give them some supplies that are a little above and beyond the normal shelter supplies. Give them something Because it doesn't seem like there's any food around. And, I mean, Savage talked about this when we uh, interviewed him before coming back for this season. 
when he was in Pearl Islands, they were on the crappy beach that they couldn't fish on because the waves were too strong. And Rupert's out there like a freaking a seal swimming around and catching everything that moves. Meanwhile, they're fishing in their beach and there's no way to catch fish. I think he's getting that exact same thing again. And I don't care that the game's not inherently fair, but at least don't make it so unfair. Right. And you also, or at least I don't inherently care if the people on the show are required to survive, quote unquote, in the way that people like imagine this show might be. You know, I think in all the years that it's been on, clearly it is still very, very difficult to be out there, but the conditions are not as horrible uh, as they've been in previous seasons. And so anytime that they kind of throw in a wrinkle that really uh, diminishes the conditions of one group over another, you understand it from a game standpoint, but when it combines with just the inherent, like the inherent weaknesses of the people who are already on the tribe, it's just a recipe for depressing results. And you can, I mean, you can clearly tell that even though they got a meal from the reward challenge, it didn't take very long for them to derail pretty quickly. And obviously there, it helps that it was a blindfold challenge, but nonetheless, like they, they basically had one meal in six, six and a half days and it didn't really go well for them. Yeah, and I think, like, it did lead to that, you know, epic moment of, you know, uh, Savage winning it for his team and people crying. And I'm sure they love that. But I do think it's been a misstep for the show, and I hope it will be over soon. Just because when one tribe does that poorly, it's not even necessarily about fairness. It's about equity of storytelling. We don't know, like, 90% of this cast. That's bad math. But a lot of them. Like, two, two whole tribes are basically kind of like, hey, there's some, one funny thing happened in three days. Or uh, <laughs> these two people might not be getting along. But then the story has all been these people. Now, obviously, they couldn't have known any of that, that the same drama of Takeo would go to this loser tribe. But the reason why you don't want to set artificial imbalances is it screws up the storytelling. And it was particularly weird for this season that they, like, started off by giving them tons of stuff. Like that all the crusty old survivors always want to complain that in my day it was so much harder. They were all on, you know, social media complaining that they're sitting there eating fruit and all the supplies that they got. Ignoring the fact that, like, in the first two seasons, Reebok was giving them clothes and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But... And then all of a sudden, like six days in, after we gave you a bunch of supplies, probably because the season that was filmed before picked the land clean. No, sorry, six of you get nothing. And it's just like, that's not good story. Like, it's, it's, it's hurting the story. It, at two episodes, it hasn't been a terminal problem. But if we get like two more episodes of this, it'll just be like Fiji with more awesome people. Right. Yeah, people that would be even sadder to watch this happen to. Well, actually, what's left there? Eh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Frankly, I don't really, you know, it's bad enough to have to watch Wu when he's somewhat functional and eating. I think as if time goes on and he's had no food for another three to six days and he's in these conditions, I can't imagine what low brain power we're going well, to see. If you know about the rumors, he'll find a way to take matters into his own hands. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just think like... <laughs> I believe, like John said, that the tribe expansion is a great idea, especially for this format where we know there was so much pre-gaming and all this day one alliances and day one strategies to just throw them for a loop and mix up the numbers. But yeah, just just give us some friggin' food, man. Like, we don't need to do this hardcore. It isn't their fault they picked a buff. Right. Yeah, it smacks of unfairness, but more than that, it's just, it, it's ruined the storytelling. I don't, well, not ruined, but it's it's hurt it. 
I want to know what's happening with those other 12 people, and we don't. Well, let's talk about how those other people might be doing from what little we see of them. Let's talk about who's rising and who's falling for this week. Yeah, so obviously the biggest riser was in Jeff Pope's pants during the Hero Challenge. <laughs> oh. oh. Uh, but I, I, for the second week in a row, I was I was impressed with Jeremy. I think he, he is in this for the long haul. I, it's it's hard not to you know look at him as someone who's doing really well, given that he's already found the idol and that he played that conversation with Steven pretty well, and it seem, seemingly has kind of uh, gained his trust in such a way that Steven's not going to be immediately thinking, "Oh, I think Jeremy went to go look for the idol." Every time someone gives an emotional speech again. Yeah, and I think the other benefit, just from like a, an edit standpoint, from a TV standpoint, um, he looks like he's having a good time out there. He's having fun, and I, I don't think that's just new intervention. I'm sure he's having a much better time than he was on Zen One Dulcer, where he was, you know, surrounded by idiots, and his wife had just gotten voted out. Um, but yeah, like that was that was a fun little confessional, you know, talking about how he's going to be JT uh, Stevens JT, and yeah, sure we can be lifelong friends as long as you enjoy second place. <laughs> like it, it's that's for one. I think that's something that could easily slide into a winner uh, compilation, right? You know, coming after the commercial break after the on the reunion. But also, it's just like it's not Jeremy complaining about everybody's so dumb and everything sucks. It's about hey, things are great and I'm doing well. So I think it, it just, it bodes well. Yeah. And that was also one of the complaints that I had had about him being on this season. I wasn't excited about him because he was so overly negative in his confessionals. And I don't blame him. I mean, we saw that cast, but you know, at the same time, it, it, I wasn't necessarily encouraged to have him back. I'm glad to see that it, it does seem to be that that San Juan del Sur cast was the reason that he was acting that way. All right. Uh, you guys get, who else you got? Do we have to give one to give Monica some love by default, given that she got an extended <laughs> confessional and that it was a strategic one at that and that she is suggesting she's planting the seed uh, for that that lovely all girls alliance, which always goes so well on every reality show. Um, you know, it always works out for the people who try to to try to craft that. But, you know. It's cool that they're actually giving her some time. And I think as you guys talked about early and even before the season, she's the type of person who on these returnee seasons makes it really far because people forget that she's there. Um, so it will be interesting to see if she actually tries to get a women's alliance going. If people start to think, Oh, Monica's here. Like maybe we should do something about her, but, um, it's cool to see other people actually get to talk in confessionals on this season thus far. And if it's actually a, relatively strategic confessional i'm i'm willing to give that kind of a upward trajectory for her oh yeah i, I had her on my list she was rising like crazy because she exists like the tweet i sent out is like what who is this person is this like a nikki and follow thing <laughs> or throw somebody on the island and pretend like they were there the whole time so yes a, a big week for monica in that she exists yeah and big week for her because i don't know if you guys knew this but according to monica's confessional and i'm i'm trying to figure out the math right now but she says that, you know, if they get a, a girls alliance, that'll keep more girls in the game. And then also, I, and I'm, this is what I'm checking out right now. It's going to make less guys in the game. Hmm. Hang on. Just almost. Yep. Checks out. The math checks out. Yep. yep. That is correct. So good on Monica no, for catching no. that. What could be a potential red flag is if she considers Abby as one of these potential women's alliances <laughs> thing. And then, oh no! <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> John, you got anybody else? 
I mean, it's kind of tough in the, the the discussion I was just having that uh, they're not really featuring other people on this show. Yeah, I mean, it's hard because we've we've talked about that you get so little of the other tribes. You get basically these little two-minute vignettes because there's so much focus that needs to be on the disaster of a tribe that is Angkor. Um, you know what? I'll, I'll go ahead and say Cast Rising. I think Kelly catching her making the quote-unquote fake idol and then... Cass overtly saying like, oh, I know you thought I was making that. Nope, this is actually a gift for you. Yes, it is blatant and obvious that she's trying to play the nicer role and show that she's not the terrible person that everyone branded her as in Kagayan. But at the same time, just like Savage, she's shaping a narrative and I think some people are going to buy into it. Yeah, actually, I wasn't able to complete my thought about Cass and that... uh yeah, it's unfortunate, possibly, that we're not getting villainous, snarky cast that we got in the preseason game and all that. But I'm actually very encouraged by what we're seeing. Um, I'm, I'm willing to be patient that we're going to get more, you know, fun cast because yeah, she's playing well, and you know, everybody thought she'd be all, you know, be gone by now. And obviously, she's never gone to tribal council, but I don't think she's going next time her tribe goes. Uh, I really enjoy. The entire idea that we might be getting a cast winners <laughs> edit. Cause it just delights me at that idea. And maybe just cause I want to watch the world burn on social media <laughs> as a result. Um, but yeah, and I thought that was a great moment that she turned that around. And as John alluded to, sure, they might be thinking, oh, cast is just trying to fool us all. But it's like we were talking about with compliments and stuff when we were talking about Spencer emotional segment. People still like it, yep. you know. <laughs> Even if they feel like, "Oh, I don't know if I should trust it," it still feels nice, and eventually they will be warmed over. Especially because she'd set such a low bar for herself that it's not hard for people to be like, oh, "You know what? Maybe she isn't so bad." Yep. Because you know what? Maybe she isn't. Maybe. Who knows? Speaking of people, are in. Who do you got following this week? So for me, Abby can't possibly follow any further. Um. She is now the bane of my survivor existence for this season. Don't worry, Abby. I've been the bane of his survivor existence for a long time. You're in good Yeah, job. way to take the crown. Um, and you share space with RC, which is fun, because now it's you, Abby, Maria, and RC down in that space. I'm going to get a shirt that said RC was right. <laughs> yeah, no, never mind. I, what I was going to say, we would have had to edit out anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as far as falling, I, I mean... It, it's so hard to tell because we're getting so little of the other tribe dynamics, so I'm going to play it safe and not really putting anybody in that falling category this week. So you said there's nowhere farther for Abby to fall. I think that's untrue. But Abby is who I have because I think her usefulness is done. She has played her role, and now there's nowhere left to flip. And we suggested that might be true last week, but there was still two and two and places to go. And Savage and Tasha might have needed her one more week, if for no other reason that you just couldn't trust her to blow up and bounce back at you. Now it doesn't matter. You know, I think if they lose, she's gonna go, which, you know, transitions to predictions, which I've already spoiled, but her power is gone now. What power, unless there's another swap, what more do people need out of Abby? Yeah, and I think part of the reason that I don't have her falling is because my prediction is not the same as yours. I don't think she's going home. So we'll let Corey be the tiebreaker here. Oh man. Who's going home from that tribe, Corey? If it's not her? Oh gosh. I it it's so hard for me to picture it being anybody 
but her. I think I, I'm sorry, John, but I feel like I kind of have to lean with Andy. Um, that she does. It does seem like she's kind of lost her usefulness to the people who are there. And I think, you know, if if Tasha and Savage have actually bought into the things that Wu was saying at Tribal and presumably long before that, then eventually they're just going to say, okay, we we can't do this anymore. Like, we just have to get rid of her and hopefully make it to, you know, another tribe swap or just go with the three people we have who are arguably the three strongest people physically that were on the tribe from the beginning. Yeah, and if she hadn't voted out Barner, I wouldn't be saying that she was out of plays or anything like that. Then it could be a 2-2. It could be, you know, get Savage to vote out Tasha or something like that. But now, yeah, she's burned Wu, unless he's actually going to stick to his word about not writing her name down again, which would be kind of hilarious, because she'd be definitely writing down <laughs> this. Um, yeah, it was fun and games, but now, who needs her? No one. Yeah, and so my counterpoint here is that I do think it's Wu that's going home from this group, because I think Savage is going to have some misplaced loyalty towards her. I think that Tasha is probably going to be looking ahead and seeing that there are four people from Kagayan still left in this game. And having that large a number of players from the same season is going to create, put a target on her back. So if she can go ahead and take one out by uh, getting rid of Wu, I think she'll do that. And I think you know it's Tasha's turn to make the mistake of thinking that she can be the one to control Abby now. I kind of feel like she was already learning that lesson this episode that it's like, no, not so much. Yeah, but I think it's she's going to convince herself like, okay, you know, well, Abby was sitting there vacillating back and forth about who she was going to vote out. But, you know, now that we've got a clear target in Wu, she's going to be fine. And then, you know, once this vote goes smoothly, then it'll be smooth sailing from here. Do you guys think that there's any chance that either one of the other two tribes actually goes to tribal council this this upcoming week? Interesting you should ask that, Corey, because we actually do think there's a chance. And it's not because Angkor doesn't go to Tribal Council. Uh, we think that they're gonna take two people to Tribal, two, two tribes to Tribal Council too. Cause, uh, we started at 20, we gotta start taking some people out here. Yeah, and our thought was that whoever wins immunity is the only tribe that gets immunity, and then the other two tribes will have to go to Tribal Council. Uh, we don't necessarily know which of those two tribes will win immunity, although I'm sure we have a good guess, but we had to pick people for both tribes. So let's start with Takeo. Why not? So last week I laid out really implausible reasons why Takeo isn't going to make it. Part of that was my, I don't want to say Jeff Varner's going home strategy. Uh, the other part is just because it would have been super cool if it happened. Like you can make outlandish predictions and nobody's going to like, ha, you were crazy. <laughs> Thinking the Pacers are going to make the playoffs or something oh, like come that. come on. Uh, no, that's not even outlandish. They didn't miss by very much. Saying the Lakers, that, okay. Somebody would just say you were insane. Uh, but, but if for some reason it happens, cause look, they finished second this challenge. So it's not a matter of staying out of last if, if it is what we're suggesting. I don't see any reason why Terry's still not the target. Yeah. And I'm going to agree with that. When, if and or when this tribe goes to council, it's Terry. Well, I mean, it maybe wouldn't be, but we haven't seen any reason to think it wouldn't be because they haven't really shown us anything except for, you know, casts giving out crafts to people. <laughs> Corey, do you want to be at the outlier here? No, I don't. I, I think it's hard to imagine a world where something else happens unless, you know, suddenly the first two minutes of this upcoming episode are focused on 
somebody deciding, okay, well, you know, it's getting closer and closer where we don't need Joe anymore. So let's get rid of him or something to that effect. But otherwise there's, there's nothing that we've seen to even begin to suggest anybody else. Yeah, like, I, I think that Joe discussion will happen, but I can't imagine it happening next week, even if it's two people. That's still not close enough to yeah. emerge. Because basically, Joe is the difference, you know? It's all I'm good to say he's a threat, but Joe is the reason why everybody's eating well. Joe's the reason why you're not losing challenges. Like, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll just keep riding this Joe thing for a while. We He probably won't win 10 immunities. Yeah, that's the thing, is you're going to have multiple shots at him once you get to the merge. and Or even just, like, it feels like merging is going to happen soon, then sure, take him out then, but way too soon for that. Guys, he carried multiple pieces uh, blindfolded with seemingly no assistance. Are you sure that he won't win 10 immunity challenges in a row? (laughs) No, I'm not... I'm not, no, I'm, am I sure? Sure, no, but I, I'm willing to take that risk to avoid going to tribal council in the tribe phase. <laughs> yeah, it's like, he literally might be Superman with X-ray vision. Yeah, I think part of the reason he decided not to do the hero reward challenge is that he didn't want people to know that he could actually walk on water. You know, when he's swimming, he's just okay, but when you ask him to just kind of wade through it, then he elevates, and then that's, that's really gonna blow his cover before, before the merge. Dead giveaway, and he has the long hair and everything. He told Ma and Pa Kent that he wasn't going to reveal his secrets, and <laughs> the end of last season, they're like, son, you gotta dial it back. But then at some point, he's gonna hit the merge and rip the shirt off and emerge from the phone booth, and yeah. Da-da-da-da. Yeah, no, so I, I guess the other potential contender is just, um, Sierra used to be a person on this show, but again, I don't know why it would be her. Yeah. I think it's Terry. So, but I do think that if they do the double elimination, it's more likely that Bion goes, and not just because I think, like, Takeo's this unstoppable force because Joe's on their team, but more they've been setting up Bion stories, like B-plots, for all season, whereas not so much with Takeo other than Kelly kicking Terry under the bus. <laughs> so I, f- I feel like the that's what this episode did. Like, Takeo got the fun where a Love Tribe uh, segment, whereas Bion got the, you know, Spencer and Monica segment. And then in the previews, it looks like Kimmy gets loud, she can get loud too. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, it's also nice to be reminded that she is on the show too. Um, so is yeah, it? I, well, I, I, I mean, it is nice to remember that there are indeed like full casts of people elsewhere on, on, in Cambodia. Um, yeah, I guess in that case, are you guys suspecting that it comes down to Spencer or Kelly? Well, so again, uh, just totally trying to read the three seconds of preview. But, uh, it felt like as, you know, before the season started that Kimmy Kaffenberg would be annoying to people. <laughs> uh, and the reason why it, it felt that way is because I've seen Australia, I saw it recently. And also people in their pregame interviews were saying, Kimmy Kaffenberg is annoying. Uh, <laughs> just for hanging around her in Ponderosa. But that has not come up in the show, largely because very few things involving Kimmy have. Um, it might, uh, John was being funny with the is it because we don't, we're not Kimmy fans here, but more, is it good for her that we're going to finally start seeing her? Or is it one of the classic, oh, the person we never saw before is suddenly getting featured at the beginning of the episode. Yep. They gone. Um, and so what could happen is uh, she and another tribe mate get into an argument and she's yelling at them and, and then everybody decides she's annoying and votes her out. Uh, and if they are the second tribe to vote out in the episode, that would put her in sixth place. So it would basically be her entire arc from Australia, again, minus the stinky non-bathing part. Right. Um, and the asking where she's going to go to masturbate part. Yes. <laughs> um, 
And the thing that I think is happening here is, is Spencer, you, you already saw him trying to make some inroads on an alliance and he was willing to throw Wigglesworth under the bus. I think if, you know, Kimmy draws attention, he might be like, yeah, sure, her, whoever, <laughs> as long as it's not me, just get this first vote under my belt and then I should know where I, where I lie in these alliances. And I would lean towards it being either Kimmy or Wigglesworth and just purely based on the fact that we saw Kimmy talking at all. I'll say it's Kimmy. But I thought you didn't want to say that because I was taking total claim to that position. You don't want to be like I know. And I that is always true that I don't want to be like you. But in this case, I think that's probably the correct argument. You just happened to make it before I did because I was at lunch. (laughs) Oh, well, then I'll say it's going to be Wigglesworth then just to be. Uh, different and say that the, the teaser was a little bit of a misdirect and that, uh, means yeah. that we're going to focus on Bion, but that Kimmy somehow survives, uh, the, the tribal council. Nice. What a massive deploys- disappointment that Kelly Wigglesworth has been to the entire production. Huh? Well, not to me. I mean, this is, this was kind of what I was expecting. Right. But they brought back like a legendary season one character. Like I'm sure they had planned out, you know, an entire marketing strategy around her. She, she was focused quite a bit in there. I wouldn't be surprised if she got voted in on like a hundred percent of the ballots and she's been nothing. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know how that's not the impression that you would get just based on her pregame stuff that she did, which I don't understand why she did. Yeah. And you might argue that the reason that the CBS is promoting a kind of Kimmy blow up is because Kelly is the one being uh, voted out and they just don't have the material to even <laughs> suggest, Ooh, there's going to be some drama around Kelly because people are just going to say, okay, we'll just get rid of her. Yeah. Her solid point. Solid point. All right. So I think that's most of the business of the episode. So this would be the part where people probably just uh, move on to their next podcast. But in case you're still here, uh, what do we want to tell the people about where they can find Well, first of all, we should let uh, Corey plug first since he's our guest. So, Corey, where the, where can they find you? Sure. I guess the best place to find me, of course, is on Twitter. It's just twitter.com slash Corey Barker. That's C-O-R-Y-B-A-R-K-E-R. And uh, that's where I usually link to my other stuff all around the web, like on TV.com, on Complex Pop Culture, and uh, on the Totally Tubular podcast as well. So that's that's the best place to find me. And that's usually where you'll find me tweeting about uh, Survivor, basketball, really anything. Yeah. And uh, the Totally Tubular podcast, what could people expect to hear when they tune in like we do all the time? Yeah, so if you listen to Totally Tubular, it's hosted by myself and Tim Surrett, who is the senior editor at TV.com. And we try to talk about the week in TV, uh, primarily new premieres, uh, big news. And uh, then we answer questions because we love answering questions from the audience. Um, but yeah, that's every week. It comes out on Thursday. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, all those, uh, podcast apps. Yeah. So if you're looking for new TV to watch, maybe a little more highbrow than Survivor, although not always because I have heard some of the shows you've talked about, uh, <laughs> then definitely check it out. You can get some good TV recommendations there and find out if things are worth your time or not. And as you said last week, you're basically the only, uh, T- uh, podcast about television on the internet mm-hmm. so and that that becomes more and more true every yeah. week so good good on Way you stake out that corner yeah that that curse has actually really worked for me we talked about that on the episode we recorded today actually that i somehow put a uh some bad juju out into the world and like every week a new, another more prominent uh <laughs> television podcast goes by the wayside and eventually it's just going to be us and i would will be proven right
You're just waiting for that sweet stamps.com money to be yours. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys heard of Squarespace? <laughs> I hear that it's basically impossible to lose money playing in uh, daily fantasy sports. <laughs> uh, so FanDuel, uh, anything you want, uh, just give us money. No, I mean, I just, like, all these TV podcasts are breaking up because, you know, people have different jobs. And this is why John and I have stridently maintained our amateur status and we will not let anybody pay us and thus say we can't talk to each other every yes week. when we break up it'll be because we can't stand each other not because of our corporate overload. exactly all right and where you can find us purplerockpodcast.com we put up stuff nearly every weekday on there um if you're in our fantasy league we keep fantasy scores there we've got uh we got posts coming up from emma do we got anything from Matt, I don't know. Matt does our live blogs every week, and we actually have the artist who designed the new Survivor Know-It-Alls logo, Mark, who writes for us and also designed our logo, designed that logo for Rob Sesternino. Congratulations to Mark, because he's actually good at what he does, unlike the rest of us. Yeah, we saw, and we're like, oh no, did we miscalculate by allowing somebody with genuine marketable talent to be involved in this little venture? Yeah. But, you know, it, it can happen. It, it was bound to happen sometimes. Yeah, we just got to keep negging him so he doesn't realize his true value. <laughs> and we do yes. frequently. Uh, yes, you can follow us on Twitter at Purple Rock Pod or myself at Purple Rock Andy. I don't know why I forget my name every week. It's the second week in a row. Good job. Uh, and uh, you can send us emails at purplerockpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we sometimes even answer them on the air uh, because... Well, we enjoyed good questions, and we can't think of what else to talk about. And what about our Tumblr, Andy? Yeah, what about our Tumblr? <laughs> we are yet another Survivor Tumblr. So you should follow us, and don't follow all the others, because we'll just reblog the good stuff. Because if you follow all the good uh, Survivor Tumblrs, you get the same 15 posts in a row <laughs> every day. Uh, and, uh, yes, again, we're on iTunes and Stitcher as well. All right, and that's it for this week. Corey, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure having you, and I hope your Pacers lose to my heat in this year's NBA Eastern Conference Finals. Oh, that that would actually be really great, frankly, given... Yeah, for both of us. <laughs> yeah, that would be really <laughs> wonderful. And thank you guys so much for having me. It was a real pleasure, and uh, you know, I hope it was a pleasure for the, the audience as well. I'm just worried of what just happened to LeBron in this scenario. Did he die? <laughs> no, he went to his home planet. Uh, they needed him there. Clearly not Earth. Uh, and then I'll just wait for the winner. In the... <laughs> I can't even finish that sentence. Yeah, no. <laughs> Instead, let's just finish this podcast by hitting the theme music. That's what it's like when a woman wants a baby.